This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hi, and welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, and it's my 41st birthday. So last week I posted that mini episode that talked about the birthday fundraiser, and I mentioned that I normally have not just like not great days, but like crazy tragic birthdays where like really bad stuff, like legitimately bad life changing things have happened on some of my birthdays. Sometimes it's just bad days, but mostly there's been a few years of like really, really, really awful days. And I had given up on my birthday optimism last year. And I did. I didn't plan or do anything. I don't I didn't have a plan for this year. I, I decided not to even talk about it being my birthday as early and often as I had done in previous years. But last week, I got a little bit nostalgic for that birthday optimism. And I ended up posting the episode about the birthday fundraiser. Birthday fundraiser is going great so far. We have raised about $215, which is about half of the goal for the soundproofing of the area that I, um, I'm trying to do. And if we achieve that goal, I'm going to get that in the works as soon as possible. And if we surpass that goal, then I'm going to start putting that money towards promotion for the show to get more mixed race ears from around the world access to the show or hearing that we even exist. Right now, our advertising is grassroots. It's hashtags, it's tweets, it's Facebook posts, it's Instagram posts, it's sharing friends and families and listeners. And I, there has been a spike, a recent spike in uh, downloads, which is awesome. And I'm very grateful that that is happening. But with all the messages that I receive from all the people who I end up interviewing for the show, people that reach out and just tell me that the show is great, and then I harass them until they participate. <laughs> um the messages are always the same. It's about not having that, that mixed race representation growing up or not being visible or seen, not getting to hear their stories, thinking that they were alone in the world and that no one else was like them. And then they get to hear the show and now they know that there are people like them out there. And, and that's why this show is so important. It was what I was lacking as a mixed race person. And so that's why I created it. And I encourage everybody out there who is lacking something in their life to create the thing that they lack so that they can connect and build a community that serves that gap or fills that hole for them. Uh, that's what I did. And now I have this sea of cousins that have sparked up in the world of other mixed race people who have been gracious enough to come and share their stories with me and, you know, then of me sharing them with you. So I like I'm I'm riding a big old wave of amazing mixed ass people and I love it and I am not slowing down. Like I said, I think I got shows that'll carry me into mid next year and and we're doing it. But we need to get more people listening because more people, more mixed people are out there feeling lonely right now. And I need to try to help them not feel lonely, whether that's through talking to me or listening to other people sharing their stories, whatever it is, we got to get this word out. So that's what the birthday fundraiser is all about, trying to get that extra little bit of cash flow in, in the bank so that we can start promote, promoting and improving our quality, growing the show, becoming more, I don't want to necessarily say more professional, but you know, this is a, this is a business and, and we're going to, I'm an entrepreneur and we're going to try to get this product out into the world more. That's where I'm at right now. Birthday fundraiser. 
So we're going to keep that birthday fundraiser going through December 10th because I had a few messages about people waiting to get paid next week. Uh, so if you want to donate to the birthday fundraiser, it is www.paypal.me slash militantly mixed. You can go there and drop anything from a dollar to anything you want, and it'll go towards the birthday fundraiser. Uh, after the 10th, though, the PayPal link is always available at any time. So if, it went, if and when you ever feel like you want to drop a couple bucks our way, you have that ability to do it. Every penny goes back into the show. I don't take any, any of the donation money for my own personal needs in any way, shape, or form. Everything goes back into Militantly Mixed. And we also have our monthly sponsorship through patreon.com slash Militantly Mixed. And if you sponsor anything over $5, you're going to start having more access to exclusive content. So in relation to the interview that I'm going to share with you today, there's some extra content that came off of an earlier discussion that my guest this week and I had that I'm going to share at the end of December with our Patreon sponsors that are $5 level or above. So if you want access to some of the behind the scenes or more in-depth conversations, uh, that stuff will start to be available through Patreon at $5 or above. And that is patreon.com slash militantlymixed. That's all of that business stuff. I am crazy excited about this week's episode, which I know I say all the time, but you don't even know what we went through to be able to record this episode. Uh, my guest this week, her name is Salam Irene Giancomanini Jordan. She is an ethnic gypsy of Southern European and Indian descent. So that is a mix of Romanian, Italian, Greek, and French, and probably a lot more, um, and Indian. She was raised in Italy. Her mother was a refugee from Romania. And uh, when she grew up, she wasn't able to talk about her mixed race heritage or her culture. So she wasn't exposed to her ethnic gypsy culture. And she didn't understand why she was different than everybody. She didn't understand why her behaviors weren't like the kids that she was growing up around, even though that is where she grew up. And she did suffer some bullying and trauma, just like most of us mixed kids do because of her difference. And then at a, as a teenager, she was able to go back to Romania or go to Romania for the first time at, for a family funeral. And that was the first time she was exposed to her gypsy culture and everything clicked into place for her. She finally knew who she was. So she spent some of her young adulthood immersed in that gypsy culture and has since sort of um, moved on into a, a sort of nomadic lifestyle where right now she is actually residing in Ethiopia, working for a circus. Um, but she has lived all over the world and in traveling through what she refers to as sort of the hippie vibe. Uh, that is how she has managed to live all around the world. And she's in Ethiopia now. She has limited access to Wi-Fi, so we could only speak at very specific times. And we made it work. And it was it was an amazing conversation. What I love the most about speaking with Salam was how much it exposed me to what I don't know. I think of myself as very heightenedly aware of difference because of being mixed race. And I tend to be, I think I have a high level of empathy for people that are different from me just because I, I have been the different one for so long. So usually when I encounter other mixed race people from cultures that I don't connect to, I already feel a sense of kinship with that person because we share this difference from the people that we're around. But you know, like anybody, I have biases or I have ignorance that I'm not even aware of. And until I'm exposed to that new bit of information, I don't know that I didn't know something, right? And I, uh, we all are this way. And in conversations with Salam, there were times when we would be speaking from our own matter of fact experience, thinking that because we are mixed, we shared this knowledge. 
And we kept getting confused at first. We couldn't figure out what, what the other person was referring to. And once we would pause and sort of work through what we weren't connecting on, and it, and I, I, I don't mean to imply that it sounded negative. It wasn't. It was just like, wait, I'm confused. Explain. That kind of stuff. Once we started to clarify these points that both of us were making that didn't make sense to the other person, we realized that the difference between Western cultures and non-Western cultures make it make it very confusing sometimes. And so we had to work through some of that confusion to continue having our conversation. And once we would make that make those adjustments, it would it would reinform everything we had already talked about, which was awesome. So I feel like I received more of an education in the conversations that I've had with Salam than I have in any book or TV show or documentary or whatever. Like there was some real real world ways of clarifying things that I didn't know. And I thought that was amazing. I hope she had that experience as well, because there were a few points that were confusing for both of us. One in particular, which doesn't make it into the recording you're going to hear, but was a part of our initial conversation. The way we refer to black and white people are is totally different, Western and non-Western. For Westerners, a black person is a person who descends from Africa, part of the diaspora, the African slave trade, voluntary immigration as well. But when we refer to black people here, that's what we're talking about, people who have uh, descend from Africa. And when we talk about white people here, we're talking about people who descend from Euro Europe. And uh, for the non-Western world, usually what I'm discovering from our conversations and, and subsequent research is that most of them refer to the darker skinned people of an ethnic group as black and the lighter skinned people of an ethnic group as white. So specifically, we were talking about India at the time because that's part of her ethnic background. And she was describing the darker skinned Indians as black people and the lighter skinned Indians as white people, even though they don't have African or European descent. Once we clarified that, other aspects of our conversation became a lot more clear. So this just goes to show you, you need to be speaking to people who do not look like you, people who do not come from the same places that you come from, to expose you to what is different about the world. Uh, some of the problems that we face here as, as uh, people of color in the United States is the opposite issue, the same type of racism or prejudice, but the opposite the side of the coin over there. Uh, one issue that we talked about is is how here in the United States, black people tend to be almost assaulted by white curiosity of their hair on a regular basis, whether that means a white person reaches out and touches your hair or asks you questions or calls your hair nappy. Salam experiences the opposite problem because she she's she is European presenting, a mixed European presenting. She's she's um, pale but with dark hair, but she has she darkens up. She actually looks very similar to a lot of the Ethiopian mixed people. And uh, she she says that if she lets her hair be shown, she's chased and people are reaching out to touch her hair because it's so unusual to the majority black population there. So it's the same issue, the same problem, the otherness of you based off your hair. But here we're dealing with it white against black and there she's dealing with it black against white. So it's, you know, things that you get a new understanding about when you talk to someone that's from someone else. And I'm so grateful that uh, Salam found the show and reached out and came on um, and then, you know, actually shared her story with us because it's amazing. So before I get over to the episode, we did finish our discussion. And then later on, she had emailed me because she realized she had forgotten to share a poem with me. She had written um, during a very difficult time uh, during her dealing with her mixed race heritage, 
So I'm going to go ahead and read that for y'all and then we will get into the show. I want to run, to run so fast that my skin will peel off, to run so fast that I'll lose all my hair, run till my features will be meaningless, so fast that all my bones will dissolve, to run so fast that all of my past and my future will disintegrate, so fast that all will be left is my soul, nothing but my soul. Free. So we're back to Militantly Mixed, and today I am very honored to speak with my guest who is coming to us from Ethiopia. Thank you, Salam, for joining me on the show. Thank you, too. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everybody about yourself and how you found Militantly Mixed? Yes. Okay. Thank you, too, so much for this opportunity. And so I'm Salam Irene Giacomini Jordan, <laughs> pretty long, and I'm... Uh, I know Military Mix from Facebook while I was looking for a mixed people page or group or something to feel comfortable with. And as soon as I uh, saw your um, your post, you uh, re- replied for me. And so we got in contact like this. Yeah, I was, I was so excited when you when you responded. So that yeah, that post was something that I put up like five months ago trying to get people to come on the show so when when you pop back up as a someone commented i was like oh yay i'm so excited so thank you for for finding that and for responding to us why don't you tell everybody what your your ethnic and cultural background is a little bit and then we'll get into our conversation yes so i'm half uh, southeastern european and half indian southeastern european is divided into four ethnicity which is italian greek romanian and a little bit of french and then the rest is indian which is uh, there is no a direct Indian uh, descendant is Indian because uh, I come from an ethnic group called Gypsies that long time ago had come uh, from India and settled in Europe, mostly in Romania. And then with the time start to mix up, but still now interracial marriage sometimes are not uh, allowed so you might find still in Europe gypsy who really really uh, dark and like Indian like black Indian from Rajasthan because we are original from Rajasthan. Hmm. So within the gypsy culture there is a divide between the darker skin people and the lighter skin people? No not really but uh, there is a very strong uh, uh, behaving rules and things like this. So for a long time, interracial marriage were not allowed. And then recently, like in Romania, it's mostly uh, they start to mix up. So here I am. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's okay. No, it's okay. There, there is not too much. Okay. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, sort of your upbringing and how, like how your life is in the gypsy culture? Yes. So I grew up in Italy because my mother ran away from Romania when there was the communist dictatorship when she was 19. So she came here as a refugee and she stayed a bit in a refugee camp and then 
start to slowly build her life in Italy, where she meets my father. So for a long time, when I grew up, uh, the Romanian and Gypsy we don't even try to talk about was completely cut off from my life. And while I was not allowed to say I'm Romanian, I was not allowed to say Gypsy, like forgot it. <laughs> it's like in uh, mm-hmm. European culture is the worst. I mean, after dog, <laughs> maybe there is Gypsy. So it's like mm-hmm. the worst thing to say. So and she herself, like uh, to protect herself from so much racism and uh, Pre, pre ideas towards uh, gypsies and Romanian women mm-hmm. for too difficult for her. So she also tried to completely cut out from her life too. So when I was little, I was always different and I didn't know why. <laughs> and I tried to fit in as much as I could when I was little, but I will never fit in really. Mm-hmm. And always they would make uh, very hard jokes on me. And uh, yeah, I had. Uh, Pretty tough bullism kind of thing in childhood. Yeah. Uh, yes. Where they very, very hard for the skin color. I'm a bit darker. I'm not too dark, but for them, it's already something, as you probably know. Also in America, I think right. it's like this. When you live in a main uh, white people culture, it's like this. Was it mostly around people that were like fair skin, lighter eyes, blonde hair? And then you were dark haired or or was it kind of a mix where you were at, too, but you were just darker than them? Yes. Yes. It is a little bit like this. Not too much. I mean, you can find some people looking like Arabs a little bit on the southern area. But no, in the area I live, it's island is Sardinian island. And no, in the area I live, they were all quite white. Yeah, I mean, people could have dark hair, but the skin is very white. So, yes, when, you know, in the wintertime, maybe I could blend in a bit more. But when summertime came, I dark up a lot. Mm, right. And so everybody called me the little Indian. Even they, they didn't know. And even me, I didn't know, you know, oh, funny. they sense it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's... they sense it from there. Yes. And also my behave and all my things were very different. So for them, I was uh, always like... Um, a very nice uh, game to play with jokes, hard jokes, uh, very right. hard, <laughs> like this thing, yes. Right, yeah. I think a, a lot of us um, mixed kids, when they can't figure out what they are, but they want to they wanna decide for us that they, that they end up being really mean like that. So, okay, so you're, you're growing up in Italy and you feel unusual. The kids detect that you are different from them, so they treat you like that. When do you start to finally learn? And you said it's ta- taboo in your family to even talk about your mixed heritage. So when when do you find out? Is it when you were 16 for the family yes. you know, that you find out about your, your Romanian and the gypsy side of your, of your ethnicity? Yes. So when I was around 16, uh, the, my uncle died. So I had to flew to Romania. And yeah, that was pretty shocking. And it was very beautiful at the same time. And, you know, I, I was never brought there, never talk about it too much. So it was very strong for me and also for them to see me. But it was just for this. So after that, I saw them next time when I was 20, 20 something. So it was strong for days, but it stays like this for, for a while. And after that, yeah, in that period, I also start to decide not to want to, f- to fit in too much. Mm. And uh, I would like to add that I was seeing some videos about mixed people and this thing. And 
one guy who was giving an interview, he did this question to the people, what you did to fit in? And when he did this question, I remembered when I was like around 14, 15, that uh, a lot of, uh, uh, how you say, schoolmates, they give compliment to a girl who was very fair, like she was so white and they would say, oh, she's so beautiful, her skin and something. Mm-hmm. And so I invented that I had like uh, some sickness called photophobia, like that I could not go in the sun at oh, all oh in the no. summer and like yes and then I started to put all these like uh, powders oh, <laughs> strong no. white powders on my face <laughs> yes I just remembered that you know and yes for like more than two years I went on like this like faking I was having photophobia not to get in the sun <laughs> my goodness and people just <laughs> accepted it as as a thing what the powder that you put on your skin was that did that cause any harm or damage to your skin or it just oh, like just a yeah, foundation yeah i know it's this foundation you know i just did Oh, okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it's amazing. The kind of things that you come people that we come up with just to feel kind of comfortable. Um, yeah. So how did you feel when you remembered that you had done that? What did that do to you? Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, come on, you know, but uh, I understand myself and I understand also after that period, I decide, OK, I'm not like them. So <laughs> just leave it. And then I <laughs> went to the opposite. OK, yes, I'm very different. <laughs> and yes, after when I was 19, I left Italy and I started to travel around the world on a kind of inside travel, like trying to find my roots and things, mm-hmm. which I uh, advise for every mixed uh, person to go on a travel on all the land <laughs> you come mm-hmm. from. Yeah. Because it's like uh, a travel inside yourself, really. It's like, oh, <laughs> here everybody's like me. Oh, also there everybody's like me. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it's so it's so important to to understand yourself better that you are not wrong or something. It's just mixed things inside of us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's amazing. So how did you manage to do that travel at such a young, young adult age? Was it were you already part of did you already sort of reassimilate into your gypsy family or? How are you getting around Europe and or and you said you went no. to India at some point too, right? Yes, yes, of course. I used to went to India till my uh, childhood because uh, yes, my mother she 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 felt this thing and okay, she didn't want to communicate with the family, but she she felt inside of herself for sure. So she always brought me to India when I was six and mm-hmm. something. So India is inside. <laughs> yes, of course. And uh, yeah, you know, when I was nineteen, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I come from a very little village, so I also wanted to know the world and this thing. And I went on this kind of hippie vibe <laughs> traveling. Yes. And yes, when I went to India, also when I was much, much bigger and I could understand much things, I just saw so many things from myself. And I started to take back some of my cultural things, like, for example, eating with hands, as I as I already we talked before. Mm-hmm. Uh, This was very strong for me because it came so naturally, you know, and I just felt that the whole time I was forced to use this instrument that somebody else put me to to use while it was so natural for me to to eat with my hands. So from from that travel on, I continue to eat with my hands and not accepting anymore other like people who want to impose culture on 
Right. So can we, can we talk a little bit about the eating with the hands? So I know there are a number of cultures that do this. And, and in particular, it's not it's not just that like you are by yourself eating with your hands, but it's a whole a whole thing, sharing the food with the people around you and everything like that as well. Is that was that part of what touched you? Yes, of course. So many things also every people in India sit on the floor. And to me, I I always did that. And I always like, no, I should sit on this chair because European culture is like that. And, you know, I how, how you call this thing? Um, I was uh, uh, when you when the parents say like, no, don't do like this. How call you this thing? Uh, when they like when, when they're like they admonish you, like they tell you to stop. Yes. Behaving. Yes. Like this kind of thing. Yes. So always for sitting down and for doing things in sitting on the floor and for doing things a certain way. Mm. And when I went to India, everybody's sitting on the floor and I'm like, okay, <laughs> yes, yeah. of course, this is my place, you know? So you feel represented <laughs> just by, just by happening to go to a place that does this, you, you felt like some kind of representation and, and it, it came really natural to you. Yes, of course, because our things were living, were boiling inside our blood, you know, and when you are on the wrong place or like, let's say in the place that represents you less, you feel wrong. But when you go in the place that represents you more, you just say, okay, yes, of course. I mean, that's, the, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody do like what I feel. Yeah, that that's amazing. So you told me when we spoke before, you mentioned that at the time you had finally gone back to Romania and sort of um, got exposed to that side of the, the gypsy side of your culture. That's uh, was the age where you were you should have been married off or something like that. Right. What, what was yes. the reason why you left uh, Romania the, the next time? Yes. So I went to visit my family in Romania when I was around 20. But I can't stay there too much long and I can't stay also throughout Romania or too much in contact because there is gypsy family everywhere in Eastern and also in Italy. So I cannot too much stay in contact with the gypsies because there are rules, for example, as... There are still like some strong rules when girl got her first period when she's around 12 or something. She might uh, be in cell to some older men or, you know, things like this. There is so many like as most of the people don't go to school, don't know how to read and write. There is this kind of things who are still in the culture. So, yes, of course, when I go there, everybody try to marry me off. <laughs> and I'm like, no. Yeah. And, you know, also 60 men and also my, my grandfather is a big example of this can be quite violent you know so I, I I wish I can get more in contact and live more with my my gypsy tribes all over it doesn't matter if it's by my blood family you know gypsies gypsy I can stay also with another family of gypsy but it's too difficult when it's like this you know I grew mm-hmm. up in Italy so it's difficult like, to want to go towards death. Right. And I understand. Even in Italy, where there, where you say there, there are other uh, gypsy groups as well, they have the same type of rules. And so even, even if you were to go back to Italy, that would be the same thing. Yes. Yes. If I want to go inside a gypsy group or tribe or clan in whatever place in Europe, because there is all over Europe, it will be more or less the same story. Mm. So, yes. So how does that feel like you're you, you keep you, you've said it several times and I, I feel the same about my cultures as well. This sort of like um, like you, what you said, boiling in your blood, like you it, it, it heats up when you're closer to your people and, and you feel more connected. So how does that feel when you really want to be around them? But because some of their 
their rules or their cultural structures are sort of against you as an independent woman. Uh, you can't do what you want to do. Like, how does that feel that you, you still need to have connection to it, but you can't because of those circumstances? Yes, yes. That's why I guess I'm in Ethiopia, because for me, he's a middle path in between right. all things. Right. So, yes, I feel like how how you like little not frustration, but, you know, I wish I wish maybe if I believe in <laughs> reincarnation, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. another life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I wish I wish I could be also more active inside of the gypsy community. I don't know. I think my mother, she passed me a lot of fear and a lot of uh, detachment, you know, in, uh, in our family. As I told my grandfather, oh. was was a very, very violent person. So I, I think I guess I'm afraid because also women cannot speak up too much, you know. Right, right. And so you become and not only do you become very independent, you're you're traveling the world by yourself and, and you're you're seeking out all of your different cultures and everything like that. So to suddenly be in a position where you're giving up that independence would be probably even yeah. extra difficult if you weren't raised directly in it the whole time. Exactly. And so Ethiopia offers you that middle ground where you can feel like you get aspects of your of your culture or the at least activities within your culture are present in Ethiopia, but you also have the freedom to be more independent as well while you're there? Yes, yes, the, exactly. Because Ethiopia is a little bit mixed between Arabic culture and African, another like, um, yeah, another African country's culture. And it has a little bit his own reality. And when I saw Ethiopian for the first time, I thought they were gypsies. <laughs> So, because you look yes, very similar, course, yeah. With some, with some people, yes. Also, there is traditional tattoos that also gypsy can have. You know, mm. uh, yeah. There are there are uh, similarities, definitely. Also in the culture, and there is a better part. Uh, there is a lot of uh, respect here. Rules of respect. The people here can be very polite. You know, uh, I mean, the culture, the Tupan culture, is very nice. So I really fit in very much uh, to surprise of them. Uh, that on the other side, Ethiopia have uh, also another side, which for them is difficult to to see how I fit in because they have other idea of me here. Right. So, yeah, that, that we can talk uh, later. So, yeah, to me, it's nice. And also as a woman like here, yes, of course, there is woman problem everywhere in the world. Also in the civilized country, there is still women killed here and there. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but as a woman, it's not like uh, maybe another an Arabic country where I lived here. I can walk in the street alone. I can wear a little bit, uh, not too short skirt, but a little bit like I can do whatever I want. It's okay. And the men are not uh, harassing, uh, are, are, are fine. Like, yes, not sexually harassing, definitely not. Uh, so before, when we were speaking before, you mentioned something that I had never heard before. Um, you you said that in Ethiopia, they refer to their mixed race people as half caste. And so I looked it up a little bit to, to kind of understand. And it, it from my research, it turned out this is actually a really common term in other uh, 
a number of other countries. It's just not something that we have here in the state. So I'd never heard it. How are their half caste or their mixed race people treated in Ethiopia? And, and how does that affect you? Because, yes. Because okay. for them, you're you're not only mixed, but you're also a foreigner. Yes. Yes, exactly. So here we go on the other side of the coin. So now we have talked about what you probably must know in America, a predominant white race uh, society and how the outsiders or the mixed or whatever is treated. So that's what we know. And then there is the other side of the coin. And here is a prevalent dark skin country because mm-hmm. we cannot even say too much black because Ethiopian themselves are a mixed race. Right. And that's the thing, but they don't know because it's like a very, very long thing. So they 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 mix between themselves and they create this this uh, ethnicity, which is Awesha, which is in uh, Djibouti, Eritrea, Ethiopia, uh, Somaliland, Somalia, and a little bit of South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, what is the reality of the mixed race here and the foreigner? So there is a big story of love and hate, which we all can understand, of course. Right. Uh, it's a non-colonized country, but of course, white people, uh, they try to come here and do something. Sometimes Italians, they were here for five years. So there is, you know, there is a little bit of oppression, like there was war and things. So they know this, but it's a non-colonized country still. Right. So there is like this love and hate. It's, it's a big story of love and hate, which is so mixed, you know. And so, yes, the foreign here, for, for example, for them, there is one word and it is Farangi, who refers to all like whatever else is lighter than them. Or I don't know, like mm. any European, any Arabs, any Chinese people, any, I don't know, like. Anybody. Right. Okay. Everybody. Okay. So also it's very difficult to try to explain to them, wait, I'm not that, you know. Here, as soon as they see you light skin, you are like European and you are rich mm. or like mm. European standard kind of things, you know. So you are very rich and you should do this, this, this and that. And there is a big box, a very strong box, which you mm, should be there, you know. So with me, they go crazy because I don't fit in the white people box. And so they don't know where to put me. You know? <laughs> it's so weird for them. Yeah. I make them crazy because yeah. when I come here, I was so poor. Sorry to say, but I, I lived also some years in the street. So when I came here, I was really so poor. So for them, it was shocking to mm-hmm. see someone, you know, from the white box who should be rich and this and that and, and see me like that. And they cannot even recognize too much the, the difference between like a white German people or, you know, like some white, white people. And from the mixed, like these kind of things. Even themselves, there is lighter skin. Of course, there is people of my skin and lighter than me here. And they call it white. Yeah, so that so, was actually something really interesting that you and I talked about last week. And this, and I have, so all week long, I have been talking about you to my friends and ex- and explaining our, our experience talking. And everybody I've spoken to that are born and raised here in America, whether they're white or black or, or anything else, they're all shocked by this idea so this is this is a very much the difference between i guess being a westerner is that when you described that anybody who is of darker skin is considered black and anybody who is of lighter skin is considered white here that doesn't make sense to us because anybody who's considered black here is of african descent so somebody whose ancestors were 
taken on the on the slave trade and brought here, those are the black people. And then anybody who descends from Europe are those are the white people. And so if you're a light skin mixed person, if you're if you're biracial, black and white, you're still black for the most part. But you described uh, your confusion watching the movie Dear White People with the, mm-hmm. the lead actress, Tessa Thompson, being biracial. You were trying to figure out why the white girl wasn't talking about white issues. And I told that to some of my friends and all of us were so surprised that it makes sense why that movie didn't make sense to you. But it made sense mm. to us because our experience, Tessa's experience in the movie is very similar to my experience here in America as a as a mixed black and and white and I'm also a Japanese person who identifies as black and that's mm. that was so different for me so I would like to talk about that a little bit with you because it's so it's so new I I like I want to learn more um about that so can we talk a little bit about why you're confusing to Ethiopians because you you look similar to them but you're a little on the light side but you can get t- darker and then you look even more like them but you're you're not black. So <laughs> can we talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes, of course. So so yes, this is the thing, like how what to say. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is if you start to talk and have a conversation, yes, you can go in the details and they can divide the they they see the, the difference of the lights and there is different name. Like sorry, there is the, the, the shades, shades and there is different name, for example, mm-hmm. it's but it's the same like white. Uh, so all the light skin are are referred in in, uh, in Amharic is Kai. Kai means red. <laughs> red? <laughs> yes. But red is referred for the white people who had come here, you know, these very light-skinned people, like like white people, who with the sun, they got red. So <laughs> they start to call Kai <laughs> red people. <laughs> and so whatever his light skin is Kai. And then there is like this uh, bunical, this, uh, sorry, this um, uh, brown color, like, yes, brown color, many Ethiopians Mm-hmm. Only Ethiopians, there is these brown colors. And then the one who are black also, who are like dark and also for... Uh neighbors African countries is hard also for them because they, they do are racist also with them and with the, with the very black because of course here is any like India or whatever like dark skin area of the world I think apart America and maybe in South America yes everybody like uh, give much more value for the light skin and less for the dark skin right yeah so, yes so that that's the culture so for example in a family in the rural area if a sister uh, of, from the family, she will be darker. She will be the one who work harder and who will make all the chores. And if you are light, light skin, you will get like a better treatment. Yeah, yes. that that seems to be in every every single culture and a lot of a lot of our culture. So like Indians and Asians and different parts of the descendants of Africa that are here on the Western Hemisphere. So the the Caribbeans, the Black Americans, uh, North Americans, South Americans, the Afro Latin X community. Their darker skinned people are all you know looked at worse than than the lighter skinned people. Lighter skinned people are valued for their beauty. Um and uh, and so there's a lot of skin lightening, sort of like you were talking. About about when you were when you were younger so there's a lot of products that are in these communities Jamaica China India where they're always trying to lighten their skin yeah. which causes you know it's more than just the damage to your physical body but like the psychological the mental damage to not being good enough and having to try to fix yourself even though yes. you know and I don't I don't mean fix but that they have this view of feeling like they need to fix themselves so that they can be lighter so really the darker skinned children have to work harder and the lighter skinned children are they valued in terms of like 
you can marry the lighter skinned girl to to a more upscale family or, or how how are they yeah, allowed to maybe, get away? Yeah, maybe yes, with? yes. In the rural area now, me I live in Addis Ababa. In Addis Ababa is less, but I mean less, mm, like yeah, little bit less than mm. and and strong than the rural area. But yes, I mean yes, you can get maybe a better job. For example, in the, if you see any Ethiopian movies, all the light skinned people are in the movie, and people from another African country they think white people is living in this country you know like yeah so i mean you know i think you're this thing yes wow yes so when they got for example about the half caste situation so these poor half caste people here because must say that yes um, most probably an ethiopian would like to marry with some foreigner or most probably white people to get a light-skinned child because it's more beautiful and everything but the life of this light-skinned person here is also mine because i i i mo- like look very much like a mix of ethiopian and mm-hmm. uh, some european uh, so <laughs> it's very hard because uh, they will never think of you as you are ethiopian for example Right. And they will always treat you different. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's very hard. I have a friend of mine and I think for her, for him, it was very, very hard growing up on a public school. We, it was very hard because also most of uh, half caste live a different life. That must be said. And most of white people here live a different life because mm. here there is also another difference, which is poor and rich mm. and a it's a big gap. So the half caste, they might uh, go to like rich schools and things. So they never got mixed with Ethiopians. So they are always see different, you know, and always people surprised if you're talking Amharic, you know, uh, I think it's pretty hard. Me, I take it. Okay. Yes. I grew up in another country and, but for the people who burn here and they are half Ethiopian and they learn everything here, their life is here. They are Ethiopian. But when they walk in the street, they will never be recognized as Ethiopian. It's too mm-hmm. hard. Too wow. hard, you know? Wow. Yes. So you mentioned yeah. something about um, because you confuse people there and they think, you know, maybe you are the Ethiopian version of the, of the half caste and everything, that they're curious about you. Like you get people that are curious about your hair and they, they do they do they like want to touch your hair and they, or touch you or anything like that, touch your skin? Or is it just the comments that they say about you? Yes, comments every day, all the time. <laughs> the touching thing, yes, I got one child like not too long ago who saw me in the street and I always keep my hair covered. But the day I make, uh, I have long hair, so I make a bright and a little uh, hair you can see. And some kids run from far and catch my hair. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah, I want to jump it on hair. And when you go to the rural area, yeah, that's really hardcore things. I mean, you got children like running after you people like entire village coming to you touching your skin and everything and if you speak the language uh, it's even like oh my god you speak the language you know and right really it's really hard i mean i cannot blame too much because of course past government and things like people don't have too much chance of see different differences and also education you know I mean there is still like very low education system because of the government past government we had so yeah you know it's not all the fault of the people but it's still very hard it's hard for you as the individual who has to be the other end of that curiosity yeah Yes, it's an everyday war, even in even yesterday. Yesterday, I got very hardcore things again on the bus. 
it's an everyday war, really. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's very tiring. But I mean, uh, here they are more explicit. And actually, I like it that I know from far away who who is who. In oh, Europe, okay. yeah. it's very fake. So I might have got friends or like people try not to show their things, but there are still races there. And every time I go in Italy, everybody don't believe I'm Italian. And they ask me if I'm Moroccan or if I'm something else. Right. So yes, here is tougher because it's ex- more explicit, but still I prefer No, I agree with you. I I do, because so here in America um, or the United States specifically, people like to say that the only part of of America that is racist is our South, because that's where the historical slavery was more predominant and things like that. And it's still it's still a part of the country that is kind of, I guess we would say sometimes backwards in terms of like the deep, deep south and the the divide between the black and the white people down there but my personal experience i grew up in california so i grew up in a very liberal free open type of place but the subtle racism is is here and it's crazy so i prefer being in a place where somebody does just kind of not violently but it still calls it out because then i know i know who you are i know how to deal with you now you know versus the person like here in la especially here in los angeles where i'm at it's a lot of smiling a lot of people telling you that you're so beautiful and they wish they look like you and, you know, you're so exotic and, oh, I, I'm so jealous that you look that way, that you have the best of all the cultures or whatever. But then, you know, later on, you you find out they've been talking about you, you know, racistly or bad, you know, or whatever. And you're just like, you just wish mm-hmm. then don't interact with me if you, you know, if you feel this way, don't don't bother yourself with me and it'll be fine. But in other places um, where racism is more out in your face, you at least feel like you know what neighborhoods not to go to and, you know, and like what people yes, to avoid. Yes. But there are parts yes. in our in our northern areas that are that have always been considered non-racist because that was the side of the country that fought in the war to free slaves. They're, like Boston is some th- place that I live that that's a very racist city, but people always think that it's not because it's in the north. So we have really screwed up ideas here in the states about where is racism where isn't the whole places it's just that there's some places where it's more direct into your face and in that case um, if it's not violent but it's just someone showing you their hate that is in a weird way more comfortable because at least you know who you're dealing with so i agree i it, it, i laugh about it too like the way you kind of laugh when you said it i kind of do too because you don't know how to ex- you don't know how to explain why that makes you more comfortable <laughs> it just does you know yes yes no yes i understand perfectly yes 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 of course <laughs> definitely <laughs> because i i know yes i know the european culture and for me it's it's much harder you know and yeah also because there is this big law for example in Italy on the western European country they say yes everybody's equal and this and that you know there is like this big law and for example so when I was little there was a Senegalese girl in our class so everybody want to do like racist thing because it was like a taboo things but still they will think in certain way you know towards her or behave in certain way like to just to make her far or something you know yeah so yes i do prefer 
explicitly, even if yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know, like some breath, because sometimes even with my close friend, you know, it's like it's like a big wall, which they can't uh, they they can't take it down. But this, I guess it's a little bit more an Ethiopian problem, even because they have a big ethnic problem between themselves. So, yeah, maybe it's just Ethiopia. I didn't see too much in other African country, but people told me it's less. Well, because so, isn't it the case that in Ethiopia, there's a lot of different people that have come to, into the country. So there's like a big Chinese presence and a big Indian presence and, and things like that. So is, is that true that there's a, a, a sort of heavy foreign influence and that and that kind of um, like increases the awkwardness of the race relations there? Uh, really there is a lot of Chinese and there is a lot of Indians that we don't see because uh, as I told you there is also the big difference between oh, the rich and the, the poor and, and the these poor. people come here yes these people come here to work and so they work for big companies and things like this so who see them they always travel in big cars and things so you never see them walking in the street like rarely Right, really. right. You, you won't say, say there is like that much, but we know there is a lot. But yes, that that's another story. But no, they don't really affect the the culture. Just that when I walk in the street, people even can say China. <laughs> oh really? They'll just they'll yeah. call whatever you, whatever is the different thing. <laughs> you just are that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that I start to joke on them. Yes, I once I some people start to ask me, okay, where are you from, and Santi, and I start to joke on them. I'm like, I'm Chinese, <laughs> and I make them believe. <laughs> yes. So you tell you know. me, you speak five different languages. Is that is that correct? Yeah, six. No, six. What what all what are all the languages like? Where did did you pick them up as you as you moved around, or um, were you learning? them your yes. entire life. Yes, five of them is uh, uh, Latin-rooted uh, languages, so I have to say it's pretty easy. Okay. <laughs> so it's Italian, Spanish, French, and Romanian, and then uh, English, and then uh, Amharic, the language of Ethiopia. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's um, that's another part that it makes um, y- y- the U.S. really uh, behind everybody else is that we don't start teaching different languages until we're in high school. So we're 15, 14 before we get access to a new language. And um, it's a little bit harder for our brains to learn to think in both languages. And, and we end up giving up by the time we're out of college. So if we, you mm-hmm. know, for those that go to college. So a lot of people, you, you don't get a lot of it here unless you're raised within a culture. And even in my case, my Japanese side, my grandmother is from Japan and she came to the United States at a time that there was still a lot of racism against Japanese because of World War Two. And this was like mm. this is like 20 years later, but there was still that that racism. So the military she married, my my grandfather was a white military guy. She married him and they, the military told her, don't teach your children Japanese because you'll confuse them. And um, mm. she never taught her, my mom and her sisters. And so by the time I come around, she still didn't want to teach me Japanese. So I only know a little bit of Japanese from home. And then I struggled in school to try to learn, try to learn. And I, I still don't have a very good grasp of Japanese, uh, just a little bit. And like, I understand more than I'm comfortable speaking and everything like that. But not having that exposure, you know, throughout our entire lives, it makes it really difficult for Americans to pick up other languages, unfortunately. Do you struggle yes, with the yes. Ethiopian language or, or is it, does it come? Yeah, it took me a while, of course, also because I didn't go to any school and anything. And uh, it's uh, is it? It's a Semitic language is completely different, but different yeah. from the Latin. So, yeah, it took me a while. But now, <laughs> how, how long have you been there now? It's four years. Oh, OK. 
So let's talk a little bit about your about your life. So when you first contacted me, you said that you work in a in a circus and um, was it it's a traveling circus, correct? Uh, No, we just recently uh, through a crowdfunding have bought a tent, which is now making her first tour in another cities here in Ethiopia. Uh, But no, it's a fixed circus. It's a social circus. So we work also in the hospital with the smile medicine, you know, and all like the smile doctor doctor club okay uh yeah so we do like this and we are also artists and train go on tours times mm-hmm. <laughs> and what sort of things are at your circus because i'm wondering if your circuses and our circuses are similar yeah yeah of course it's like circus like any other circus we don't have animals is uh we are enough animals <laughs> by our own so yes it's just like we are acrobats and aerialists and clowns and you know circus thing okay you are not so much big we are not so much little for ethiopia mm, i see and so yes and in this circus i experience all the races like the whole thing like mm. my life is about races i guess you right. know? <laughs> like yes because it's uh, founded from a woman italian woman who she's married with another you know, ethiopian so i got from her all the italian kind of thing and I got from the world thing, the Ethiopian kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so it's very hard because here, for example, I not have been sent into tours or I don't have chance as others to get a job or to do something because I'm light. And sometimes, like sometimes they say they want to sell this African image in Europe or abroad, oh. abroad or in some shows. So I don't fit in and but. I mean, doesn't make sense, but there is this thing here. So I suffer from this on this side. And then I suffer from something that I just like felt understood while I was reading one of these mixed people struggles, uh, like post somewhere, which somebody say, like somebody push you to pick a side. So the Italian right. woman pushed me to pick the Italian side. Like for her, I'm Italian. She don't see anything else. I should behave like an Italian and everything. When I don't, she feel like, why? Why are you like this? You know? Uh, <laughs> like, like you're almost Sorry. betraying I- Italy by not yes. by not behaving yes. that way. Yes. Mm. Mm. yes, exactly. Oh my God. Yes, exactly this. Exactly. She make me feel like this and I'm like, you know, and even she's so hard on me on this thing you know for example we recently had an interview from cnn people came here to to make a how you a report about the circus mm-hmm. and they were uh, asking for interviewing some people and, you know she make it like a joke but it's it's always hard and she's like okay and also salam she want to she want to make this but uh, but she's white <laughs> oh <Okay>. gosh <laughs> you know okay you know also this thing like that she want to push me and she joke of me and sometimes she say, oh, but you are not so dark, you know, and he's like, mm. yes, yes, like I, I fit in this society so much. I don't make any effort because that's what also in my mother, through she want to keep her things far in. I've been raised differently from the European culture. So I've been raised different and, and that's who I am. And all what I do is what come naturally to me. Right. But she start to think like that I want to act like them you know or, or sometimes you feel like uh, like I want to be darker or something you know and, and you know I like she, she drives me crazy really she do drive me crazy right. and she make me feel bad you know sorry yeah 
I grew up in an island and I, I, I grew up in also in the rural area and there is close the beach and I always was outside and I'm always used to be uh, on sun or things and I love it. And I have to say the truth, when I see myself too light, I feel like I'm sick or something. You know? I feel the so exact I, same way. I feel the exact same <laughs> way. <laughs> Even I got this yellowish color that everybody does yeah. like. You're rose, but you are yellow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm almost like apologizing that I'm so pale. Like I'm like, well, I get I get darker, uh, or I was darker when I was younger, or something. But it's a weird kind of like a uh, yeah. Like I feel like I have to apologize that I'm. I'm pale right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't, but you know, it's like something. I'm used to seeing my skin dark because I used to spend a lot of time outside. Mm. So when I got uh, pale here because I don't spend any time outside, you know, I feel strange. So sometimes I do like to stay five minutes in the sun. And when I do that, she makes me feel bad, like I'm trying to, 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 to be black or something, you know? Wow. And, and I'm sorry, but you're <laughs> sorry. I just have to say for somebody this thing because nobody can understand. No, it's no. I think I think I know you're concerned about that, but I think you're far clearer than you give yourself credit for. It makes it makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot more that you and I have in common than I expected we would when we first started talking. I think we have a lot of the similar, even though the 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 act itself is different, the experience of how we feel or how we've responded to the situation, it comes off very similar to me. I think, I think, um, uh, but I, I, I tell you, um, there's a lot that you've said that is really similar to how I feel too, or how I've responded to something that I, it just amazes me that mixed people have this, um, we have a very similar experience. I, I, it just, you just put us in a different country. And I think, I think we'll feel very similar. <laughs> yes, yes. This is why I like to join this thing because, you know, I, I feel that, yes, we do have a lot of things in common. Of course. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, that's how life is going over here. So half of my life I spend it uh, on races to be dark and gypsy and half to be white and European. Right. So I got the races from the world range of my, the world spectrum of my, my Right. Mixed. It, it almost feels like you have to, like you even said it, I don't know if you meant to, but it just kind of came out. You said, um, my life is about races, I guess, um, when you're talking about your, your, your life with the circus. And I feel that way too. Like I, I feel that if I'm working and it's primarily white people, I feel like I have to be almost an ambassador for all the other things that I am, all, you know, the, mm. the Japanese and the black, because I want them to say like, you know, see, she's okay. So let's bring more people of color here because they're, they're not as bad as I thought. And I hate that I feel that way, but I have felt like that from the time that I started working in, in a business environment. I, I, and, um, so I always felt like it was my responsibility to show that like I could be a person of color that is safe and that, as now that I'm older, that makes me really upset. But when I was younger, that was all I did is try to make white people feel like it's okay to be around people of color. Now that I'm older, I'm just like, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. You know, like, this is who I am. I need to just be who I am. 
And sometimes I'm professional and sometimes I'm not. And that's just it. But it took a long time. I'm, I'm, I'll be 41 in a few days. So it took, it took 21 years of adulthood for me to get to a place where I'm finally comfortable to just be like I am. And if it makes white people uncomfortable or if it makes other people uncomfortable, depending on where I'm at, I typically get racism more from white people than I do from other people. Although I get it from Asians as well because I don't, Asians don't like to have mixed race people either. So, you know, yes, I know yes. uh, so I, I get it. A little bit from there, uh, you know, and things of like having to keep it a secret from my Japanese family that were black growing up and stuff like that. But um, not as much now as an adult. I, I don't get to see as many Asian people where I work now. So, yeah, it's just it's just this thing of like you just feel like every day I am all the races. <laughs> like I have to yes. be all the races today. Something yes. you said made me think, make maybe think of that. But is there anything else yes. before we wrap up that you that you really want to say to your audience about? Your yes, maybe something little. Yes. Uh, yes. First of all, really, I'm so happy to have this platform to to can speak about it. Even like to how how to say, just like to free yourself from yeah. some things that, and yeah. to start to feel normal again for a while. And so, as I heard a little bit about us mixed people, we we got mistaken for so many things. And while I was traveling. It, quite I travel quite a lot so I got mistaken for everywhere and everywhere I don't really feel like home you know and part in the gypsy community but for reason I cannot stay there mm-hmm. so yes a little bit like what uh, what we were speaking like and also I was seeing like another uh, documentary when mm-hmm. the title was the other race so yes like I tried okay I was not feeling home and I was not feeling part of them when I was in Italy and then I went through all over my scale of things inside other races and things and also there I don't feel belonging that sense of belonging too much mm-hmm. strong and here no and for example recently I also have been to Morocco while there I really look like, like Moroccan like mm-hmm. I can be Moroccan <laughs> really much but also there you know they sense it that I'm not somehow maybe because sometimes also when I speak I can't speak proper the language right. so but I just don't I, I can't say I belong to anybody of them anybody and I do belong to everybody yeah. so like we are this new race like we have to belong to this like to our new things, to the mixed race people. And if there is not a name who represents us properly, we should make it one. And and I think that, yes, maybe this big lack of sense of belonging I had through all my life, and maybe even the reason I got so upset with all these races is because of the sense of belonging. I make a little example. Uh, recently, a friend of mine, Ethiopian, he went to Cambodia and he experienced some races uh, towards him. And then he told me, yes, but when I was there, I remember I am Ethiopian and I love my Ethiopian and something, something. And then he feel good and he don't care yeah. or whatever is going on around him because he have this strong sense of belonging. And when I told him, yes, but can you try to understand me? I, I don't have any place to say, yes, that's my thing. You know? Right. And so I feel like belong to something that gave me a strength. But maybe now, which is I think is a problem for all of us, maybe now this, this space this us can be our sense of belongings. And when we receive from all the world this thing, maybe we can say, yes, but I belong to the mixed race or I don't know how to call it. 
us. You know? That's that's the worst part is that we don't know we want something like that, but we don't really know what to call it because even within our mixes, we are all so different. But we have such similar experiences that like I have more in common with you than I do probably with someone who is Japanese, even though I'm mixed with Japanese or someone who's full black American, even though I'm mixed with black American, you know. Or, or white or Irish, any of the other things. Like, I have more in common with you, even though we're not mixed the same. Yes. So I agree. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Yes. So maybe through all the people who is hearing us and who is a mixed race, you and whatever is our friend, we should start to be like to start to build the community and and support each other. And yes, of course, when we need to speak about our struggles, it's very nice because we can understand better each other. But also maybe like, as I was saying the other day, like what is our beautiful things? Like what is our Amazing, we are so unique. Nobody is like us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it can be very so. Beautiful. Yes, we are like a bridge from all the worlds, and we can create like different realities and teach our children differently with all these realities. You know? Yeah. My God, when I think I will give birth to my child, most probably I will marry an Ethiopian because I I intend to live here. So what would this child will be? You know, <laughs> right. so, yeah. so how I will teach about his mixedness you know like to, to give him or her this sense of belonging yes you do belong mm-hmm. to the mixed people you know? mm-hmm. and you have all these beautiful things and you will face maybe this struggle but you have all these beautiful things so maybe also we can we can make this community to to, to talk about also our beautiful things and what can we bring to society that that there is no yeah Absolutely. I think I'm so grateful. I can't tell you how excited I am to get a chance to talk to you a second time. And I hope that we talk, we talk again, um, many times because you, your, your story is, is so uh, interesting. And yet there's so much um, about what you've said that I feel like I've had a similar experience to it's and and we grew up on opposite sides of the, of the world. And I, I just, I just, I'm so grateful that you shared your story with me. Most of my guests so far have been in Canada, the United States, uh, the UK. Um, I have one guest that is based out of Vienna. Um, So right now you're the person who's the farthest away from where I live. And so to be able to expose your uh, experience to our audience, I think is very important because and in particular, maybe not all Westerners, but maybe yes, all Westerners, but certainly all US Americans tend to not be able to see other people's experience uh, as, uh, you know, I guess kind of like your your Italian boss, that that idea of like, well, why don't you behave this way? This is the way you're supposed to behave. You know, you mm-hmm. get that a lot here. So getting a chance to expose our audience to to your story and your experience will like I really think it will open up a lot more opportunities for all of us to to kind of connect to people from all over the world so I do I very much appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your story with me I hope that you come back on and we can talk again as you you know get further into your your life in Ethiopia and and the different experiences that you're gonna have then so yeah (laughs) I'm so grateful okay thank you to you and for this beautiful (laughs) pace thank you Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Militantly Mix. Thank you all for joining me on this mixed race journey. And don't forget to be your mixed ass self. 
Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.